0: Welcome, everyone, to Los Libertinos Podcast. I am your host, Carlos Abelard, and this is Chingasos and Fire, episode number 25. Our guest today is Drake Lundstrom. He is the Ohio State Organizer for the LP Mises Caucus. He's heavily involved in his Libertarian Party of Ohio in many facets and is the vice chair for his local county. Uh, I interact with Drake weekly at Renegade University for the men's group session. And every once in a while, I catch him at the Thad Russell weekly session. Um, And for the most part, uh, I know Drake as someone that is very knowledgeable on many fronts, uh, many topics, and uh, not just your normal kind of knowledge. I mean, like, well read and knows what's up kind of knowledge. So it's kind of uh, exciting that I get to... Pick his brain uh for the next uh, hour and a half here for your viewing pleasure or uh listening pleasure, however you're uh, taking the podcast. Uh welcome, Drake. Happy to be here and happy to talk about anything. See, Carlos, it's all about the T-shaped knowledge. Have you heard about this? No, here we go, man. Sorry, so already give drop me down some knowledge, but go ahead. So T-shaped knowledge is it's the Top is like shallow, you know, a
1: lot, a little bit about a bunch of things. And then there's some areas where you're a super expert in that way. And it, it works really well because you need to know at least enough about a, a bunch, a little bit of stuff about a bunch of things. So you can have the conversation so you can know what's going on. You know, the vocab words, I don't really know what they mean, but I can at least talk about
0: it. It's the jack of all trades, master of some. Oh, okay. No, I never heard of that term, but uh, yeah, I'd like to consider that I know a lot of a little bit of stuff but yeah. uh yeah man i don't know like uh a lot of stuff about like deep into things but yeah you know you it's uh to. yeah yeah I, there's like something you said
1: that you're an expert on like everyone has something like your construction business i i'm sure you could talk for like five hours about the best way to do like cement mixes to properly get some consistency and no i, mean, I cannot I <laughs> no i cannot I like, there's <laughs> something somewhere there's always
0: yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, yeah, there's some things I could talk about for five hours. Uh, usually, like at a party with some drinks, we can definitely go into like sports and different things like that. So, sports is something that I, I can so. get into, but uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, man, so for uh, anybody that uh doesn't know who you are, uh, especially uh on the side of my um, you know, family and friends that uh, I know that are starting to listen to the show. Uh, can you please give uh, uh, your background, like uh, born, raised, your family, siblings, and, uh, you know, some of your education, stuff Dios like that.
1: Carlos, para la familia, hola, yo soy Drake, yo puedo hablar un poco de español, pero yo sé que uh, mi accento es horrible, horrible?
0: Oh, yeah. How do you pronounce jodido? Man, I, just, I don't you know. It's, I, what do you try uh, that you sound? Uh, what, do, what do you mean? Jodido? Yeah, horrible. How do you say a horrible accent? What's the... Uh, what well, jodido in Spanish to me is kind of like... Uh, yeah, like it's it's like horrible, but it's kind of like with a negative uh, kind of like... Like you would say, you know, like right now you have told me that you're not feeling too good, right? Like yeah. you have some allergies. So in Spanish, you would say, ah, pinche Drake, se siente bien jodido. You know, <laughs> so... You know, it's horrible, but it has a little extra like uh, spice in it, you know, a little extra. That's, that's how bad my accent is. So that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, kind of give a background so everybody knows kind of what's up.
1: Sure. So my name is Drake. I live in Ohio, obviously from the Libertarian party here. And I have a weird, long life history because my so my dad's from Sweden. My mom's from Nashville, Tennessee, dual citizenship and just kind of traveled been around my whole life um like we lived on a boat for two years when i was growing up and that kind of nonsense which is fun um then no what does that mean what do you mean you lived in a boat you there's a boat and there are bedrooms in it and there's a kitchen and every night you sleep on the boat and every day you're on the boat and then you sometimes get off the boat to do things you literally live in the boat okay all righty fair enough we started in uh, France, crossed the Bay of Escaia, went down around, uh, what's that, Spain, Portugal, then through the Mediterranean, crossed over the Atlantic back to the U.S. Two years.
0: Like when you were a kid? Yep. Was it boring? No, it's fun. It was fun? Okay. You, know, you have books, you have games, um,
1: and then also there's lots of neat people on the boat, and you also like you have your fa- whole family there. It's If you appreciate talking to people for a while, and I mean, it's not a lot of kids spend time, like, do, it's time doing other stuff. If anything, like I had a better time in the boat than I had back in the U.S. in some ways, if nothing else, because I was homeschooled. And like, really, if you've been homeschooled and gone to public school, it's so hard to go back. And homeschool, I don't know, I was done in like three hours a day. Where I I so people talk about like oh are you getting socialized enough as a homeschooler? I regressed socially coming back to public school in like fifth uh, fourth and fifth grade because in homeschool um, I interacted with adults all the time and I talked to them and they listened to me and I respected them like but I could like have a conversation with an adult and then I go back to school. And in school, if you talk to the teacher without raising your hand, you're in trouble. If you um, disagree with your teacher, even if you're right, you're sometimes in trouble. Like it's a authoritarian model that is nothing like any real world interaction. If there was any job that any friend I had had that treated them like school treats children, I would tell them to leave instantly and maybe even like sue. It's that bad. Like, School is a prison for children. All right. Yeah. And sorry for
0: interrupting. Man. Keep going. <laughs> keep going with the story, but okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. Sorry.
1: I got, I I walk off on tangents. So yeah, grew up there. Um, and then came back to the U.S. Um, normal kind of stuff in uh high school, um, marks and all that. Then ended up. Uh, so I do lots of with Rotary Youth Exchange because that's my dad. And my mom actually through Rotary originally. So we, my siblings and I, all went on it. So I lived for a month in Ecuador. I don't know what that is, Mexico. man. Okay, so Rotary International is the second largest volunteer group in the world. Um, 1.2 million members, last I checked, and they have a bunch of really small, achievable goals like um, end polio, um, clean water for everyone, and world peace are among the the easy ones. Um, but it's just an international volunteer group. And actually, I'm the uh i'm right now in the committee sending students abroad so if you have a high schooler and they want to spend a month or a year living in another country learning their culture um find your local rotary club would strongly recommend it and if you're in the ohio area i will probably be in charge of your high schooler and teach them languages
0: but yeah so that's cool I, i never knew that that's cool
1: yeah you're in brazil um, then went off to college, UC as a mechanical engineer, did some internships, interned in Japan for eight months. Um, and then at UC, kind of started getting into politics, did stuff with uh, Young Americans for Liberty. And of course, the fun thing with college is they made college take so few hours a week that I spent more time doing libertarian nonsense than I spent doing engineering class. Um so I got a full education and that kind of stuff while I was there. Started debating, started researching. I don't like losing arguments. I don't like uh, being wrong. So just tried to learn all that I could. Um, and then that kind of led me down some weird paths. Like I w- And I started supporting some various podcasts. This is my, it's like, you know, uh, Patreon. And I was a patron for uh, Freedom Tunes, Seamus there, who does really neat uh, cartoons. And we were talking in a donor call. And he kept asking like, talking about things. I just gave him the stats and the citation for all the things he was saying. He's like, Hey, I have this video I'm making. Can you like check the numbers for me? And I ended up doing some research for him a few times, um, which is neat. Cause that's like the biggest viewed thing I've ever been a part of. I only like, I give him numbers and then they go and then he does the fun stuff. And then they go in front of like 400,000 people, but I just do that occasionally. So I've only helped him in like, I don't know. Six videos or so, but once in a while. Um, then graduated, started doing some engineering stuff with an automotive company. Turns out, didn't really like it. Um, uh, a lot, not all engineering jobs, but a lot of engineering jobs just making PowerPoints all the time. So, went to a coding boot camp for 15 weeks, switched over, and now I'm a coder and also in charge of so many things in the libertarian party of ohio and also like the rotary my local rotary club and uh our district 6690 i think i have seven or eight concurrent chair positions right now
0: that's shingles of shit man how do you uh how, how do you work all that out man that's uh, takes a lot of the lot of your time right most of them aren't that bad um it's like
1: a couple of them are really nothing like one of them is just i'm the youngest person in rotary clubs so they're like hey you know, Facebook, right? Can you be in charge of our social media? So all I do is at the meetings, take a picture of my phone, post it to the Facebook page. And that's like a chair position. Some of them are small. in um, like, or the Franklin County stuff, it's just showing up to monthly meetings, organizing monthly socials, a couple hours a week. But it takes a bit of time, not a crazy bit. And once in a while, I kind of reevaluate and make sure, hey, am I happy with the things that I'm doing? Do I want to change it up? I was training for an Ironman last year, but then I got a bit of a back injury from jujitsu. So I had to stop that for a bit and just every so often figure out, hey, do I want to keep doing these things? Do they keep making me happy? And if not, let's try something new and fun.
0: All right, fair enough, man. Um, I uh uh let's speak of the genesis of this, um, how we got to this point. Uh so yeah, you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago because uh you kind of meant you had mentioned that uh uh we have uh well uh uh i don't know if you've interacted with him personally but uh you know uh i got a uh, uh andrew from popular liberty he is some He's a he's a podcaster he's puts out content uh, here and there and he comes on a lot of podcast shows but uh he has this uh a plan called the 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 anti tax and you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned that uh you had mentioned to me like hey man uh, i know like that you know that i know him and maybe it would be cool to uh you know come on and have a debate with him because you saw some flaws in his uh in the plan and um yeah man i reached out to him and i think we can probably do something but uh uh maybe till next year but till then uh i wanted to have you on uh because i wanted uh you to speak your uh your piece on that but uh before we get into that though i i do mm-hmm. want to kind of um uh talk to you about uh coding because uh, for I was sure. telling you before uh, we started recording that I think just the person that did our website for Paloma Verde is the most, uh, uh, like, is the only person that I know that knows a lot with mm-hmm. computers and stuff like that. But also you just mentioned that you took like a, uh, like a year and a half, uh, like almost it sounded like a, like a trade um, class or oh, something 15, like that. 15, um, weeks. 15 weeks is all 15 things. weeks. Okay. And yeah. um so I, I didn't know that either. Like, uh, yeah. that you can take a class, I guess, if you gotta be smart enough to at least know how to do the stuff. Uh, can you kind of, uh, talk about your sure. coding? You know, this is just for me to learn shit anyway. And for anybody that's listening, um, you know, and then how that, how, how you got into that, I guess the, the, the classes that you did mm-hmm. and then you went and go look for a job and like, what are you producing a value as you're coding? Yeah. Um, to where to start? So, coding is
1: to like put it really simply it is a language that computers understand that they like that gives them directions that they follow. That's really all that it is in the most like basic level. Um, and there's a lot of it like learning a language, you can say you know it, but that means really different things. Like, someone says, Oh, I know Spanish. Uh, hola, como estas? So is like yes, you know, Spanish, but like, could you give a 30 minute presentation? No. Okay. Then do you like, it's kind of, there's a lot of different levels of knowing Spanish, like for, and for coding um, there's different structures and different levels of knowledge. For example, if you had a MySpace account back in the day, um, you can kind of customize how your page looks through some really basic coding through HTML, which kind of controls where things are on a page and what they say and what colors they are. And then you have like CSS, which is like the graphics of, hey, this is big, this is small, this is blue, this flashes whenever you put your mouse over it, that kind of stuff. And then you get into like logic, which is your JavaScript, your C Sharp, other languages like that, where that's kind of what people like traditionally think of as coding is You click a button and then a computer like thinks through, oh, um, let's say you're on Amazon and you click on a product. Then it adds the product to your cart and it updates the number at the bottom to say your new total of dollars and all this stuff. Um, And that's kind of the more traditionally thought of part of coding. In terms of how to learn it, it's... Not that bad. A lot of people kind of pick it up growing up. There's a lot of free resources out there. I think freecodecamp.com or freecodebootcamp.com. I think it's freecodecamp.com would be one of the really good ones if you have any interest. They take you from like zero to being able to write some like a basic to make a basic website yourself. And you can kind of try that and say, Hey, do I like this? Because if you do like it, uh an intro salary for a coder is something in the range of like 50, 65K. Um, and there were people in my coding bootcamp that didn't go to college, that only had a coding bootcamp. And imagine if you could walk out of high school and for I, my, my camp was like $15,000, uh, would they vary on the what price? Imagine if you could pay $15,000, spend 15 weeks, for probably like a month before, or maybe like a month or two after, and find a job. So by the time you're 19, you would have a job that paid you 60K with $10,000 debt that I, makes up to like, I don't know, two, 300K down the line if you do well.
0: That's crazy, man. I've never heard of that. I, I yeah. always thought that uh maybe like you said, uh, there's like, I guess, three types. So I guess the one that the logic one would have been the one that I thought of and seemed like it was Am I right to think that's the hardest one or that's the, that's the hardest or that's like the Silicon Valley style one that, so
1: everything is going to have a mix of all, of all three. If you're kind of doing like front end stuff and back end stuff is like only the more complicated one, the like the stuff that pays best ends up being the back end one. But like my husband, He was originally like going into digital art stuff in college and dropped out and then went through a coding bootcamp also. And his stuff is he doesn't actually do much of the logic. A lot of what he does is on the front end is actually just make things look better, make things make sense of like, hmm, if I'm going to click on a button to buy this product, where should it be so I can find it easily? Where, like, what should it be called? And then a little bit of the logic stuff, but mostly a lot of like that appearance things of like, Whenever you, when you open up Zoom, it's, it's not hard to see, hey, here is the button to start a meeting. Here's the button to do things. And that stuff is like even part of the work. Like there's a lot of just graphic designers that do some code work and then make a lot more money than the average starving
0: artist. And yeah, that's crazy, man. So yeah, anybody that I, I I guess now I would probably, you know, besides if, you know, some of my cousins, little, little primos. You know, you always tell them, I always tell them like, oh, you know, you know, yeah, if you want to go to college, go, but if not, just go to a trade school and just learn some shit and and you know, you'll make money as a plumber or electrician or whatever. But you know, coding was not one of them that was in there, but I guess now it should be. It should be. Um, and yeah, man, thanks for that. That's pretty cool, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe sure. a lot of people knew that you could do that, but I didn't. You know, that's, oh, there, that's there's kind a of- bunch of well, the boot camps are new because for a while, um so colleges
1: are really bad at educating people um, and just kind of bad in general. That's a whole different conversation. Um, and, and it's like you sometimes get value from college. Like I made I made way more money as a mechanical engineer than I would have had a college degree. But if you can sidestep it and get something of that like kind of level without it, definitely go for it. And with the coding stuff, there's a bunch of these boot camps that are now springing up because people want so many of them um, that like companies are fighting over them like especially for more senior ones but i in the 15-week camp i had a job before i graduated
0: wow i know
1: there are many many people i know from college that did not have a job for months after they graduated and my experience is like kind of average usually people get their job within like around time they graduate maybe a month after um The one I went to is Tech Elevator, would highly recommend them. They have a full online course. You can be anywhere in the US to do it. A lot of them, what they'll have is if you're interested, is you do kind of an aptitude test. It's almost like an IQ logic test. So you just go through this 30-minute quiz, Do take it seriously, like turn off other stuff and just focus on it for a bit, and then an interview but no a bunch of people can get in and do it there's a lot of spots open it's a growing field not to say there's like there's lots of other good things to do too but if someone doesn't know what they they what they want to do it's a pretty good career and you can also like turn it into whatever you want it's because it's like having a communications degree kind of thing. It's like there's a bunch of different things that use coding. Like you could be the coder or you could be a manager or you could be a graphic designer or you could be like a sales business person or you could start a company. So it's one of those skills that has a lot of applications.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, and you don't uh, – it sounds like you're all – you're doing everything inside. You don't got to be outside with the pick and shovel. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's the that's one part of miss about engineering. It was like, I do like actually going and walking around and doing physical tests. You are chained to your desk a little bit with coding
0: sometimes. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, to kind of keep on uh, on this stuff, uh, what is your, uh, so is, so this is something that I've heard before that it's like that, um, because especially not with like the, the way that, we, you know, the podcast, so like that you talk, you hear about algorithms and trying to, get your, your sub- subscribes up and try to get more women on or, or women subscribe, you know, all these things. And so uh, is, and of course it's, so this term that like, that they say is that the, like the, the data is the new gold rush or something like that. Um, kind of that uh, getting data or, or, or the personal behaviors of, of possible consumers is, is, is the way um You know, that all of these tech companies, you know, that's how they make their money through advertisement and Mm -hmm. all that. Like, uh, uh, what is your take on how that's make like you had said that um, uh, homeschooling uh, affected your social, your uh, not homeschooling, going to uh, public school affected your the way that you interacted socially with people. Mm -hmm. How is uh, what's your take on all of this uh, social media stuff that basically the new generation as far as like i know when i see my little nephew and niece, like they're just they're just different types of of kids now not like not the way i grew up you know um, i was just telling my nephew yesterday i was like you know that um i had a low rider bike right he's like what do you mean like the ones that those i was like yeah those like the cholo ones i i bought one and i used to ride it around the street he goes i was like did you know that we used to be you could just go around the block and you know i was like grandma and grandpa would just come back later you know and uh, they just couldn't believe that. And I said, well, yeah, you know, back then we weren't that wimpy, but I feel like every generation says that right about everybody. Um, I don't know, like what's your take on the whole, on this kind of a big question of like social media, is it making us better people? Is it not? Or, or you know, big question like, there kind of, yeah.
1: Yeah. There's a few different sub questions in there. Um, like one would be, Is it kind of making us wealthier? Is it making us more productive, like healthier kind of stuff? And there is some like benefit in there. Like one of the good things with data mining is when you get a recommendation for an ad on Facebook, it's often something you actually want in value. And this is something that's not acknowledged, not kind of my left side, but targeting marketing is a really good thing because there are, I don't know, a million products out there. 99% of them, I don't want. I don't want to, and, and the thing is, if they're shown to me, it's a waste of everyone's time. Like time is the one resource you never get back, you know? So I want to see things that I want. And also if there's something valuable to me um, that I don't know exists, I want to know about it. Like, I don't know. One of the podcast advertisers about those automatic toothbrushes, like I always forget to change my toothbrush heads. Now they come the mail to me automatic. And it's like, it's actually a thing that I value. It's made my life better. So there is like a bit of a side It is important to remember that the social media stuff, these other things, have both upsides and costs. It is a mix. Overall, in terms of in person interaction, I would be very, very negative on social media, Um, pretty much across the board, and especially uh, TikTok and Twitter. Um, Once again, there are good things that come out of this, especially like the big good thing would be the information sharing stuff where all of a sudden you can, in 30 minutes, learn how to make balloon animals, or you can learn how to like change your drain and change your car, stuff like that. Democratization of information is really great. Um, But the big harm is coming from people not having structure and how they interact with it. For example, let's say that every time that you're kind of bored and have nothing to do, you check Twitter. Well, boardroom is actually really important. What boredom is, is that your brain telling you you're doing something that doesn't have value. You should switch to doing something that does have value. If that makes sense, because like if you just keep doing something that's worthless, like you're just digging a hole, like to eventually, like in the wrong area, you just keep digging for hours and days. Well, wasting resources kills you. So your brain's evolved to say, hey, this is probably useless. You should stop and try something else. But you can miscalibrate that. What if Every single time you spend more than 30 seconds doing something bored, boring, you check Twitter. Well, all of a sudden, you can't focus. There have been lots of studies showing this, that Twitter use and the like actually decreases your ability to focus on things. It decreases your ability to like think deeply, think well, interact positively with the world. There's also the issues of... Um, Only seeing the most positive parts of people's lives on social media and not seeing them mess up and, you know, they're kind of comparing yourself to them. There's a bunch of really negative stuff. But it's also the answer isn't ban all social media forever. It's use it intelligently. Like, let's say Twitter, Um, just to be the big scapegoat in the room. If you're a business, especially one that is pushing uh, like a podcast or something that all you want to do is get this in front of people, Twitter can have a lot of value. Um, But how would you use it most effectively? You wouldn't just randomly sit there on a toilet and scroll through Twitter. What you would do is entirely delete the app from your phone because their apps are way more effective, like way more gamified than their like computer interface. So only access Twitter on your computer, maybe have like a set time or some set chunks of the day where it's like, hey, I'm gonna spend 30 minutes on Twitter for this bit and then be totally off for the rest of the day, or things like that, where you can try to get some of the good, um, but reducing the bad. Like on Facebook, the most uh dangerous part of Facebook is that infinite news scrolling feed where it's if you keep scrolling, they will have more interesting things for you to see. But maybe like there's a soccer meetup in Columbus that I've occasionally gone to and they organize on Facebook. I'm like, I want to know when the next soccer game is. So what you can do is just don't go to your page at the scrolling feed, only go directly to the group or even put in a plugin that like blocks the scrolling feed entirely. So there's a lot of workarounds where you can try to get the benefits of social media while reducing the cost. And I think that what's going to happen in this long-term is it's going to be a bit of like a division of society. There are going to be some people that take the positive of social media and become incredibly productive and effective. And then there's going to be a group that are just, I don't want to say enslaved by it, but just are weakened by it. Like a little bit, they're led by social media instead of them like taking charge of their lives. If you want some books on the subject, um, Cal Newport, Digital minimalism is probably his main one on it, but his writings generally really good on the topic, and he has all the data and charts to back up the the accusations I'm making about Twitter, um, actually, literally lowering your attention span,
0: that's, of cra- that's crazy, man. No, see, again, you're already teaching me all kinds of cool shit, dude. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just get strategic with it if yes. if you're if you are a business or or someone that just needs it for as a tool to you know, but yeah, you take it off your phone and just, yeah, man, that, that's good shit. Yeah. I, uh, recently, um, uh, for the business, for the online business, for our uh, CBD company, uh, next year we have to, you know, we had our new daughter, so we didn't, you know, do much this past half a year. Um, but new, uh, this year coming up, I have to get into all this social media stuff. And, uh, um, yeah, I think I'm going to have to either look into that Vato to see what's up, because if it's going to be part of my business side, uh, more, you know, I don't want it to be all my all day stuff, you know, especially like, um, you know, then it just, uh, yeah. Okay.
1: It, 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 that's, totally, that's cool.
0: Man. Totally.
1: No. And then also there's like different social media, like notice that they have different purposes and different like effects. Like TikTok is the worst. They're really good at putting interesting stuff in front of you, but what they do is they actually like they they've taken like that gamification, the like button stuff, and like ramped it up to eleven. So they will give you fake followers and fake likes, and if you put videos on there, they will push them viral for you just because to make you feel better, so you keep coming back and using it. So definitely like avoid TikTok if you can, Um, and then for the rest, like another good thing, just set a price on it. Say okay. Twitter use cost me 20 bucks an hour. And every time I check it, even if it's just for like a minute, that costs me five bucks because for the next like 15 minutes I'm distracted thinking about Twitter. And then you're like, okay, is it still worth it for me to use Twitter? Oh yeah. Every time I use Twitter for an hour, I bring in like 200 bucks in sales. Sure. But like kind of, there's a lot of ways to think about it to just make it more... Pick, pick, pick what your values are and then optimize your Twitter use to meet your values. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, very strategic with it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to uh, look into that. And yeah, thanks for dropping that a little bit there. man. That's that's dope. Um, and still kind of staying on this, all of this uh, technology uh, 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 part that we're talking here about. Uh, I, and I don't think I've ever heard you really talk about this subject so it'd be cool uh what is your whole take on the on cryptocurrency uh I uh, i like uh like i guess i come on the side on the debate of like uh like the peter Schiff side of it because mm-hmm. it, it it that makes more sense to me but also who knows if it's like a little bit of like haterade because i didn't buy bitcoin yeah. when they were telling us back in the old ron paul days like hey buy some bitcoin and i was like ah i was like the whole idea of like getting a wallet and all that—I was just lazy. I was—I was, I, I was I, just lazy, and I just didn't do it. And maybe it's a little bit of haterade, but the happened. fundamentals and different things. So, where do you side on the uh, on on uh, uh, on this debate? And then, mm-hmm. could you kind of give the counter uh, argument side so that way my audience knows, um, you know, kind of what what the debate is on on it? Sure.
1: And actually. I'm going to go two different directions first really fast. Sure. I, the other funny thing to think about with Bitcoin is how many Bitcoin are just lost that someone like put it on a phone and lost the phone. Like maybe like a fifth of Bitcoin is just missing because someone just messed up and lost it. Then the other thing, um, whenever you're thinking about or dealing with an idea, if you want to say you know something about it, a really good practice is you should be able to give at least one really strong argument against it. If you can't give at least one strong argument on both sides, you don't really know it. It's okay if you don't know things, like you don't need to know everything, but just there are lots of people that have strong opinions that can't give both sides. and Definitely, that's really valuable. So Bitcoin is cryptocurrency. What that means is it is a uh, digital means of transferring value, um, just like banks do. So what ba- all banks do these days, is when you send money to someone else, they decrease, hey, Carlos's bank account went down by $100, mine went up by $100. And it turns out you can do that without banks. You can actually have a program set up um, that is totally secure and automatic. So no one can like, the bank can't just seize all your money and take it out. It's totally secure, only you can get in. And that's kind of the really Really oversimplified, bad explanation of cryptocurrency. Um, The side that the the negative cryptocurrency argument. I'll start with that one first. Is it doesn't actually mean anything. It is literally just zeros and ones. It is a waste. It takes up all this computing power and energy to run. um, And there's nothing backing it. If if tomorrow we all decide Bitcoin's worthless, it's worth zero dollars, and it's over. And it's just perception that keeps it afloat. And it's also, um, maybe it's not adding value. And if it's not adding value, it's just a Ponzi scheme. The people buy Bitcoin first and everyone else buys Bitcoin from them and keeps pushing it up down the road, but it's not really going anywhere. Um, The more positive argument for cryptocurrency is that transaction itself is the value. In the same way that like, if I go on Cash App and I want to withdraw my money, I'm going to pay like sometimes that extra like 2% to withdraw my money today instead of like Thursday, right? Not always, but sometimes. Cryptocurrency um, is a really effective way of transferring money. Or another fun one if you're trying to wire money to someone like in a different country, it's really hard. It costs a bunch of money to wire stuff through a bank, through cryptocurrency. It's the same cost as any other transfer, essentially free. The government can't track your money. It is like, protected and secure in that way then there's some other really neat stuff like ethereum where you can set up these contracts um, that are managed by the cryptocurrency but that's a little bit more complicated and overall i do feel a little bit of that i bought one i had a whole bitcoin i bought it at 600 dollars and i sold it at nine nine hundred dollars because the fork for uh, bitcoin core was coming up and everyone said the fork's gonna tank it and the fork that was when it shot to like 5,000 has never gone down since. So, but hey, I made 50% return on my Bitcoin, and I'm good with that. That's a pretty good return.
0: (laughs) Hey, what's up, everyone? Please visit our sponsor, buenterprises.com. Bu is a company that helps you with relaxation, stretches, and breathing techniques that you can implement in your daily life you are able to get customized programs depending on your lifestyle i've been using them for several months now and i can tell you that i feel a lot better mentally and physically so please visit buenterprises.com use on the promo code at uh, checkout the chingasos all caps c h i n g a s o s to receive 20% off and if you join their program Please email me with some of your results. I want to know how it's going for you so we can communicate a little bit and talk about our results uh together. So please visit buenterprises.com. Thank you. Yeah, so 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 what do you think? I mean, what, what, what you know, so what is your take on it like uh well, I I think that it's going to I think it's always going to stick around at
1: least in some form. Um I don't think it's going to disappear, but I don't I don't feel confident saying it's going to shoot up that much further. It could. But for me, it's just like too much risk, too much variance. Um, But I think that definitely as like a niche product, it has a lot of value. It's never going to go away because it's always going to be important to smuggle money in and out of Venezuela, in and out of Cuba, to send money abroad for like transactions that you uh, don't want to pay like the wire transfers and international taxes on, like there's enough value in it. that I think it'll stick around, Um, but I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it's going to become like the one currency taking over all of the currencies either. And then on the other little side tangent is there is some worrying stuff in that space, which would be, I'm like Ripple. I think it's the third largest. Eh, I don't want to say what number. It's a pretty big cryptocurrency. It was literally created and entirely run by the international banks. They can at any day change all the rules and take all Ripple out of your wallet. Um, but it's also a cryptocurrency or there's a bunch of like governments trying to make their own ones right now that they're trying to turn their money into. So it is like uh, it does seem some of the less... Uh, some of the more nefarious elements are kind of hopping on more the crypto train, And that is a little bit worrying, but I guess it also, maybe, maybe that's just a sign that crypto is so good that even they want a piece of the pie.
0: Yeah. That's crazy, man. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a dumb question, but uh, it just popped into my head because I'm always trying to uh, find some shit out. Uh, you had said that there was a lot of missing Bitcoin. So a lot of that missing Bitcoin has to be worth chingles of money. Well, I don't um, know if it's missing. That's the thing is like, there's no way to keep track of it so a lot of it though would have been like from people like losing their passwords right or or like they don't um and uh isn't there programs that basically like like i want to say hacking but um Mm -hmm. uh like that try to figure out people's passwords but this is so hard uh is the is the person that ends up finally or the company that ends up finally doing like a quantum computer would that have the computing power to figure out the passwords to get back all the missing Bitcoin. So (laughs) that's my dumb question. Yeah,
1: Quantum computing is a bit more complicated than just harder computers. There's this whole stuff where you're working with like semiconductors at like four degrees Kelvin to like make more efficient computer. Essentially it's like a more efficient, more powerful computer, at least the kind that I'm familiar with. And there's like a few different things in the field. So I'm not going to say too much, but Things aren't going to be powerful enough to craft a Bitcoin uh, password for a long time. It is okay. like right now, if your password is like, I think it's like 15 digits, it's essentially unbreakable for all intents and purposes. It would take so many hundreds or thousands of years to go through it that It's just not going to happen. And Bitcoin passwords are like 128 characters.
0: Oh, really? See, I don't know. There's a real...
1: It's not going to, it could eventually happen, but we're not going to be alive for that. And our grandkids aren't going to be alive for that. So,
0: oh, that's, so that's how much computing power it would take for you to figure out a, a password that long. Oh, no, no. It's,
1: it would take that long for them to make good enough computers that they could crack the password within a hundred years. Damn. It's like, it's, it's, it's very far in the future. It's not happening.
0: Really? Um, Man, I would have thought they would have already figured that shit out, man. That sucks.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a question of just how fast can a computer run? And normally you're like, oh, I just click a thing and it goes. Have you ever tried like editing video or editing like photos though?
0: Uh, Yeah, a little bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know that like when you do something with like editing a video or a photo, your computer actually takes like 20 seconds, a minute or two, even longer to think, right? Um cracking passwords is your computer going full speed as hard as it can or even like way more powerful computers and it will still take thousands and thousands of years like you literally it's just make a harder math problem because every time you add one more character to the password you're increasing its complexity by like a hundred times
0: yeah that's crazy yeah and uh and then, um, so, I mean, again, uh, all this computer stuff, like I Hopefully. watched that one movie with the, the the Vato that, well, I guess it was to crack the passwords, right, for like the, mm-hmm. the World War II or whatever the fuck. The, And I guess that was like the first, com- I guess, supercomputer, or I don't know, I guess the, it was a whole binary system, right, and all oh, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, what's his name? Turning, Alan Turning, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. So we still run on that type of system, right? Like it's uh, it's 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 ones and it's ones and zeros, right? It's it's whatever it is, um, and uh, it just you know you can't do more than that. I mean, that's just the way it is. So, the okay,
1: this is getting a little bit outside my realm of expertise, but I'm going to try. So all I right, all right, I mean, all right. I mean, um, it's not that you couldn't do more than that. It's just that there's not really point because the the value of the ones and zeros is you can get that really, really small. Like you actually can just take these tiny threads and be like, is it magnetic or not? Like you can get a bunch of clustered stuff together. That's really small. And those ones and zeros, um, they're translated up a few different layers. So like when I'm a, when I'm a, when you're working in a word document, you're typing, hello, how are you, whatever. So that is being translated to like HTML, a markup language, which is like what font you're using, what other things going on. Then that is translated down to a machine language about like, hey, what's being put out on the screen and so on. And then that's translated down to the language and then that another layer all the way down to binary. So it is, um, those ones and zeros can theoretically represent any piece of information. So there's no reason not to change that part of it because All you need to do is make a prettier way for humans to interact with it that then translates down to the ones and zeros. It's like if you ever filled out an online form that like prints to a PDF at the end, um, that's what coding languages are. They're like an easy form for humans to fill out that's really easy to follow. But the computer reads that like printed PDF at the end that like uh, that that form fills out onto
0: that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, so the yeah, the the ones and zeros are just the foundation and then the 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 language like you said is just a set of instructions on how you interpret those uh ones and zeros, I think. my kind of yeah. Something yeah. something like that. Okay. It's a close enough metaphor. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh yeah, man, so uh uh to move on a little bit uh I wanted to talk a little bit about how uh we interact weekly. We yeah. uh like i mentioned in the intro we um, are members of renegade university and mm-hmm. we hang mostly mostly every week at the at the men's group yep. uh, which uh, has it happens uh every monday monday in the evenings and um in, in, in that uh group it's pretty much a freestyle uh everybody gets to talk about whatever they kind of want uh, the conversations are always real uh, dense uh sometimes deep um but uh the The moderator there jed the our homie he he always tries to keep us in line to be sure that we're talking about our feelings and emotions um yeah. so what is it about vatos that uh we can't just naturally talk about our feelings and emotions man why do we gotta be steered into it?
1: That's a really complicated question, okay, give me a second to parse that so it's definitely at least. A significant part of its cultural of kind of like, hey, what have you been told you are or not allowed to say? Um, But then also, it is that like emotions are hard. If you talk to someone about your emotions, you are having to one talk about your emotions with them, like reveal something that is makes you vulnerable, like that makes it so you can be hurt by them. But then two, you're also managing their emotions. Like even when you're sad, um, with your family, you also don't want to make them sad. So you have to always have some restriction on like how you're expressing yourself. Um, and that self-regulation, it's emotional labor is really difficult. It's like, Hey, I'm really angry and I just want to punch a wall, but my kids here. So I have to, I can be not angry enough so that they think everything's okay and watch out. So that kind of, If you're the role of the the stoic supporter, it can be a bit stifling and a bit hard. And that's kind of the value of having like an all men space where you can kind of rough and tumble, say whatever, because like there there are a lot of things that I tell my family and I, I tell them most things, but sometimes you have to like tone it down a bit just to make them feel okay. Like, or that you just don't want to tell them things you want to hide things, or maybe you think they'd react in some way that you don't want them to react. Like, um, I was, so I've had some mental health struggles in the past. I think people should be more open in talking about them than they are. So I'm happy to share mine, but I was like suicidal for a bit in middle school. And I didn't tell my family then, uh, partially because, you know, if you tell them, they'll stop you. (laughs) Um, I mean, you could reach out to friends and like tell them or maybe even like make jokes about it and mess around with it and say things that you need to get out, you need to work through. Um and that's kind of a lot of what the men's group has been for me. Cause so that's like if if my husband and I have any issues in our relationship at all, that like every relationship does, and you want to talk through them, I want someone that I can rant with. But most of the people I hang out, like I hang out a lot with my family, both my husband's side and my side. I can't rant to my husband's family because like then they'll, and I can't rant to my family because either of them, they're so close that they're going to like, I need to do something. I need to fix it. Or they all get emotionally involved in all this. And I just want to rant and like get out my feelings to someone who is willing to like take it all, but won't be hurt by what I'm saying. If that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. What is it about um, letting it out? that i guess that's what i mean that that in our psyche or in our body Mm -hmm. feels good you know i wonder uh what is the evolutionary part of that or or you know why that is you know do you have any thought on that i can so i can give some stuff
1: that might be in this area but i'm not an expert so fair warning i like to disclaim that when i don't know something for sure um, but a lot of it is kind of the thing of social animals where humans are not made to think alone. Um there's a neat book on it called The Enigma of Reason um that goes into this in some detail. but essentially, you know how people have logical fallacies, right? that it's like they don't actually follow logical f- patterns. Um, but it turns out if you take a group of people and they're trying to solve a problem, um but they aren't and they aren't like each emotionally invested in the side, they are actually way better at doing logic than an individual person. There's this famous uh, logic test. I don't remember what it's called, but it involves like flipping cards and different things, different sides of cards and reasoning what they are. Um, Any individual person by themselves, even like if you take economics students at Harvard or something, they have like a 20% chance of getting it right. If you take any random group of four, they have like, a 70% chance of getting the same test right. Because I am really good at arguing my side and cherry picking all the best kinds of data, kind of acting like a prosecutor and saying, hey, here's all the things that make me strongest and ignoring all the things um, that I'm wrong about. I'm just kind of like, oh, that's probably not important. And, well, you know, the cognitive biases. So for my side, I'm really good at giving the strongest argument and ignoring all the other arguments. But as a listener, you're actually evolved to be really good at picking apart arguments and like seeing the errors in this. This is why, you know, if you ever write something and you come back and you read it like a week later, it's like, why would I write that? That's so stupid. Um, Because you actually see the holes in your own argument. It's this whole evolution for like, okay. Now I'll, okay, I'll get into this. It's a little bit further off tangent. So it's this idea. All right, about, why, why do humans have logic and reason? Like, why do we do this? And it turns out that it's people used to think, oh, if you act logically, you'll get more food, you'll be healthier, whatever you'll survive and like have more kids. Right. Turns out that's not what it is. The reason for logic and reason is for us to explain ourselves to others. If I punch you in the face, I didn't logically think about why I'm doing that. Instead, I use my logic to explain myself to everyone else. Because if you can't explain your actions, you get kicked out of the tribe. You get kicked out of the tribe. You're dead. So logic and reasoning is actually kind of defending your own stuff, and then also trying to tear through other people's lives. And I know Jordan Peterson's talked about this a little bit as well, but literally having that back and forth conversation is how humans really think effectively. You actually like think as a group and you can do it inside your head a bit. Like you can be, oh, what would they say? What would I say? Kind of back and forth, but it's harder. It's a lot easier to get like a couple people that have opposite views together, fight it out and then let people on the sidelines decide. Because people on the sidelines watching, if they're not already like 100% for one side, they're actually pretty good at seeing through the logical fallacies and picking out the correct
0: stuff. So the, the venting you do in the men's group is meant to get different perspectives to up your chances of like your, your percentages of figuring out whatever you're vent, you're venting about. Right. Or is that kind of what you're saying a little bit or.
1: Yeah. It's literally,
0: it's literally thinking
1: through the issue. Like literally you think in a conversation, like a conversation is a form of thinking. Like have you ever tried to like explain something out loud and then like in your head, you couldn't figure it out, but you explain it out loud and it clicks and makes sense, then all oh, this, but' it's like literally the act of having the conversation and having to like, I have to make my thoughts clear enough so you know what I'm saying, like that makes you think better and more effectively. It's weird.
0: No, no, that's all. So then, so then what is it about? So is, 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 is is this, uh, emotional and, and the feelings part? Uh, you know, I know it doesn't have to be, it doesn't, it's not a one or the other, but it most, you know, women are better at it. Um, mm-hmm. why is that? Is there, uh, like, is it they, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I think part of it's probably
1: just, Part of it's that it's always part culture, part biology, because every, because pretty much everything is. So it may just be, oh, they're more agreeable, so they're more likely to like take on the emotions of others, or maybe they're allowed to do it more, so they have more practice. Or it's there's a bunch of things that it could be, or it could even just be like a, the relationship dynamics. Like you're going to have a different emotional conversation with your boss versus your friend versus your whatever. So maybe um Guys see each other as rivals, and women see each other as friends. Or I don't like it's. There are so many reasons that it could happen that I'm. I'm just gonna leave it there and say it's probably part biology and then like a bigger part culture because that's most things. So that's a pretty reasonable guess. But yeah. I don't know what what biology things or what culture things.
0: And if things. and if anyone that's listening is interested in the men's group uh what would you tell them the uh, what would you tell them uh that, that what, what can they expect if they come in brand new um
1: expect people trying their best to be honest and share things um that are uncomfortable to share and uncomfortable to hear that that it's people are going to be willing to say things that you haven't heard something say before. Like, I mean, it's how many times you actually hear someone talking about their like mental health problems or passive suicide or talking about relationship issues and actually really getting into it. It's something that people don't talk about much, but I think it's really important and really worth talking about because um, when you hear someone else's else's problems, hopefully you can avoid making the same problems, like making, doing the same mistakes yourself. So that's, yeah. You'll hear yeah, a lot of problems and it's going to really hurt, but it'll be worth it. Or it could be just be fun. Some people just have fun.
0: Yeah, no, I have fun in there. I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's, I, yeah. I wouldn't go to it unless I, there was value there. So there's, yeah. so I, I, I like to hang with you guys and all that. And it's, it's, a lot of fun. Sometimes um, you just rant about
1: politics because it's a similar thing where it's like, Hey, we're going to go to Thanksgiving and I'm not going to tell my mom this, but I want to say it. So I'm just going to say it here. <laughs> it
0: happens. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, yeah, man, uh, we're getting close to kind of the, the, the time that we kind of uh, discussed about the, how, how long we're going to be on. And uh, I want to get to the main enchilada, dude. What's up, everyone? Please visit palomaverdecbD.com CBD.com for all of your CBD needs. Paloma Verde is a family-run business that my wife and I own. We have had it for over two years now. Um, We are blessed to have that as our side company that we run um, together. Um, But uh, we need your help and your support to keep it going. So if you are already buying CBD products, but... You'd want to buy them from a small business that ha- shares your values, and if you want to support the show, buy um, uh, visit CBD.com and purchase some CBD from uh, from us, um, and we would uh, 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 appreciate it. So please, uh, at checkout, use the promo code Chingazos and receive twenty five percent off anything in the store. And once again. Palomaverdecbd.com for all of your CBD needs. Thank you. So, yeah, no, so now we get to the part of the conversation where we get to discuss and uh, have a conversation about this, uh, uh, the anti tax plan. Um, so, you've mentioned you don't like to lose arguments. Uh, I kind of find value in conceding points. Yes, uh, because uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I sure do. So. I do. I do. So, 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 in 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 that um in the nature of that, and if you're saying that you do, um, could you kind of give uh, uh, for the audience that for sure a lot of people have not uh, yeah. heard uh, what the anti tax plan is uh, as you know it, and then kind of run down some of the flaws that you see in it and why you think it's, it might not be a viable plan, uh, but also yep. concede some points and stuff like yep. that. Cause I think that'll be a good way, um, to start a foundation for future conversations. And especially since, uh, I mentioned that, uh, Andrew said that he, he'd, he'd want to come on uh, one day and, and, and probably next, you know, probably in January sometime. So I want to be sure that we start off on the right, on the right foot on all this, but yeah, man, go ahead. Yep. And, um, now so, I'll
1: clarify that a bit. It's not it's, I don't like to be wrong. So I'm I'm almost happy sometimes if someone brings me something that I didn't know that I can like oh this is something new because like if I'm so being wrong helps me like learn more things but it's kind of like once I'm like okay you now I I know that this person's not right and I'm pretty sure I'm right now I want to figure out I just didn't say it good enough and then work on it. But yeah, so, but I've, Andrew and I have talked a little bit already. So we had, I wrote a op-ed on the Mises Caucus, Ohio.substack.com. And he responded to that and I responded to his response. And then I think he's writing another on the way. Um, But yeah, so I'll go through the basics. So The anti-tax is this idea of a city exists essentially forever. Like it doesn't have a, doesn't die like people. and a lot of them have a bunch of money stockpiled as kind of like a savings in case of you know, a rainy day fund. What if we took the all the money the city has stockpiled and saved and invested it in um, high return, ass, like long run assets, something like the stock market? So the stock market, short term, wobbles up and down a bunch really risky. But if you look at any 30-year period, the stock market always has 7% returns after invest, after inflation. So long run, if you're looking at a really long time rise, it's super not risky. We invest it in that, let it, the interest compound until eventually the city pays for itself. We take, that, we take the money from the investments, use it to reduce taxes, and all of a sudden, all the city services are free that's really the core of the anti tax there's a bunch of other weird things around it of like hey this is how we'll like align incentives or we'll make it so you can instead of paying you can pay like 10 years of property tax now and never pay them again because that money will be invested like there's other things around it but that's really the
0: core oh wait a minute i hadn't heard that that sounds kind of cool so what is it what hey, there's a little part in there that says what uh you know give a big chunk of money right now up front 10 10 years of taxes and you don't ever got to pay it again. Yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff he's saying. Oh, and then maybe we can try
1: this. Maybe try this. Like, I mean, that sounds cool. If you no, have the money. Sounds cool. But I think that <laughs> I just don't, I think it falls apart on like three, four different levels. All right. No. So then I'll go ahead and, and sure. So I, I think the first I'm going to like, kind of talk about why it exists and kind of where Andrew and I agree, and disagree. So Andrew, um, wants to increase liberty. He wants people to have longer, happier, healthier, freer lives. I think that we totally agree with this. And that this is a proposed strategy that he is saying um people should adopt. The reason that I got into this whole thing was because there's lots of people that I listen to and I look stuff up and like I disagree with them. But I got into this with him because he said, Mises caucus people, you should drop everything you're doing and put all your money and resources into this or at least a significant bit into this. Um, so we asked us if we're interested, and then if if you want me to do it, then I will actually look through it and like say where I agree and disagree. And the big kind of argument from this, his group, which is called post to the Praxians, is everything's on fire, things are going really bad because of COVID and the like. Um, Andrew has said that in one or two years, uh like things will get really, really bad is his prediction. Because I think that's the first problem with the anti-tax is all of them are saying, this is going to get really bad in one or two years. The Libertarian Party is too slow. We need to do something faster and more effective. But by his math, the anti-tax does essentially nothing for like 20 years. And by my math, it does essentially nothing for 150
0: years. Okay. So your math and his math are having a big uh, separation there. What's up with that? Um,
1: he, so some of this is the going back and forth and some of which we've conceded. So he was originally saying the stock market grows faster than it does. Conceded that, changed things but my direction. Um, I, he also has a 0.5% inflation rate, which the inflation rate is 3%. So I think that's totally unrealistic. There's a couple other minor things. And the thing is, if you're looking at like a really long run. Where would he be getting that
0: 005 is, or and, and you're saying three, like like where are you getting your three and where is he getting his, his 0.5 or whatever? Um, I don't entirely
1: understand where he's getting his 0.5. So the 3% comes from the CPI, the inflation rate. This is, if you Google what is the inflation rate, like what is the long-term inflation rate in the US, you will get 3%. That is the consensus number. It's like 3.27, whatever, like there's some different numbers, but it's roughly 3%. This has been agreed upon by a lot of people for a long time. Um, I believe that he's getting his – so he – one of my other disagreements with Andrew is he sometimes has sloppy his definition of terms. I think when he's saying inflation, he's talking about not, not the tax inflation but the inflation of spending where it's like how much of a pay, a pay raise do you give government workers each year to counteract inflation? And he's saying, we'll cap that at 0.5%, but then that's not inflation. There, there's some of the issues that I think his terms are defined kind of sloppily. But that's the math technical part. Even if his is totally right, and it's like 20, 25 years, that's still a while for a, with him saying things are going really bad in one to two years. Um, also, he makes some other assumptions about how much money is actually there. I don't agree with. But that's one part. I don't think the math works. And I'm pretty sure my math is right. If you want, you can go in and look. I have all my charts and stuff on the Substack with the calculations there and my reasons for them. Um, The second one is it's illegal. In the state of Texas, it is illegal to do what he's saying. Um, You can only invest public government assets in super low risk things that make almost no money. Um, And the same is true in a bunch of states. The same is true in California and like Florida. You can invest like 20% of your money in high risk stuff, but at 20%, that's actually so little that it wouldn't work Um, because any money you make in that actually has to go to the other fund. So it never grows. Um, And the thing is you can change laws at the state level, like state laws can change and he wants to repeal all the currently existing financial regulations, and then put in new anti-corruption regulations. That's like a really complicated, difficult process. And there's opportunity cost there. If this doesn't really do much, if it takes 25 years to work, and even then I don't think the incentives work out that well, um, why would I bother spending all this time, money, and resources and trying to repeal the anti-tax when I could do something more effective? For example, have you heard of the Defend the Guard Act? So defend uh so you know how each state in the US has a National Guard? Yes. Um, so those are military controlled by the state, right? Right now, a bunch of the National Guard is in like, well, not Afghanistan anymore, they really pulled out, but like Yemen or not uh Iran, whatever countries in the Middle East, right? Our National Guard is being used to fight overseas wars. There are a really significant portion of the soldiers overseas. We're not going to change the national government anytime soon. I wish we were. I wish Dave Smith became president, but it's very unlikely to happen. Essentially zero. Um, but we can control a state. And any state could pass a piece of legislation that says you can only take our National Guard troops and send them overseas for a constitutionally declared war. And that would bring home half the soldiers and probably make the wars unworkable like the the federal government would have to end a bunch of wars because of this okay so that is something that lobbying at a state level you can do and some states are like hopefully on their way to do um because it's it's kind of hard to object to you're not saying we won't never do it we'll only do it if it's a constitution declared war and that's something that seems really effective right like I want to end the wars. They're one of the worst things happening. This is a really effective way to do it at the state level. Um and it's just one example of many of any resources spent on Andrews anti-tax on changing the state level laws could be better used for something like that that is actually really effective and really effective now, not 25 years from now or 105 years from now.
0: Okay. So 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 then why so then Mm -hmm. What is it about, uh, his plan then that can't be massaged in a way to, 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 to make it work? I mean, is it, Mm -hmm. so? even if it does take 25 years, I mean that, you know, if you tell some, somebody that's 18 or that's barely, or maybe someone that just bought a house at a young age, whatever, 21, 22, or, or really just started paying taxes and locally or something. And you tell them, Hey, it might take 20 something years by the time you're so like, um, I've been paying, uh. You know, I, I got uh, I got into uh, real estate investing real early at like eighteen, so I've been paying tax. So if somebody told me now I'm thirty eight, hey, back then it might take twenty or thirty years, but you know they're you know we're we're doing this plan right now that's gonna okay. Well, that's a, that sounds okay to me too. So like, uh, there's not a way to make his plan work, uh, even if it's for somebody that's just coming up, like uh, that's just turning eighteen or nineteen. I mean. No, so you're saying it's a a dud or what? I mean, as
1: as the laws are currently written, it is entirely a dud. If you wanted to implement it, you would need to go into state legislatures and convince them to change a bunch. You would need to convince them to deregulate the finances of the state. And that's expensive. It's difficult. It's hard. This is not like you can't just walk in and say, hey can you do this? And your state congressperson will just say, sure. Like
0: So, so there's, it, but, uh, but a lot of things are hard. Like, so, mm-hmm. so there's not an incentive for the financial class or the financial lobby class there that, that, that would, uh, that you can't get them on board on, on this side, because he's still going to be, uh, uh, or the idea is still to invest money in the market. Yeah. And if anything, you're going to, you're about to have, I don't know how many municipalities are out there, but you're about to have all these new like a new form of of making money, you know, uh, this way. There's not an incentive to get uh, that lobbying uh, side to get on board on something like this. I mean, so let's just say, OK, so for the purposes, yeah. let's say that you can not get the lobbying side of this uh, of, of that industry yeah. to get on board and tomorrow the laws change. Sure, you're still so saying that it would still take a hundred years. It's still yeah, hundred because the be, because the math is wrong. Yes.
1: Um. So, but let's assume let's assume both his points. So let's assume one. Um. We can get it to work. So, like the laws all change tomorrow. Two, his math is right, and it takes twenty-five, thirty years. Um to start really making a dent in your local taxes and decrease them by a fair bit, even though local taxes are just like 10% of federal. So it's not like that big a sherry tax burden. Let's say that. Um, then on top of all that, I don't think the incentives work. Um, if you look at how cities negotiate to have more people come to them. So here's the argument essentially, because cities are so small and so competitive, you cities compete for you to live there. Right, you mean so you mean it's like city governments are so small yes. and like okay, yes. yeah. the city governments are small and accountable enough that they will actually
0: like lower taxes and stuff to try to get you to move there. Right, um, the way they do now but, for corporations, right? They give the tax right. incentives, but exactly. you're saying that instead of a yeah, well, there is a tax incentive to come yes. into our city, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. But that's exactly what this is. This is saying,
1: hey, the anti-tax is going to reduce your taxes. So more people move here and so we're more successful. Like that's the reason why that, that's going on. But I don't think that works. I think one, city governments also um, also compete based off of things they give you. You don't always buy the cheapest product. You buy the product that's best for its price. I, like my, I know lots of people that have moved to more expensive cities to go to better schools Or move to more expensive cities to have better parks or better jobs or things. So it's not just a question of oh, what city has the lowest taxes? What if if the anti-tax is bringing me in half a million dollars a year? I could use it to lower taxes, or I could use it to get way better schools, way better roads, way better malls, whatever.
0: But doesn't the 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 accountability part give you what you're what you're talking about? The better schools, the better parks, the better like if if government is actually accountable uh, yes. in a way that that the people in an anti-tax municipality, uh, I would think that their mindset over time would have changed towards like, hey, don't fuck up our anti-tax Of Like if you don't, if government isn't working right, then you're out or something like uh, wouldn't the whole culture of, of an anti-tax municipality uh, uh, elevate people's in government to create the better schools, better parks, better, all the things that would attract people in, well, you know, I'm, I'm just freestyling a little bit, you know what I'm saying? But you know, no,
1: that makes sense. But I think if you look at it from the start, from day one, there is no, there's not that much of an incentive for them to drop taxes. They could just raise other services instead. Like, cause um, Andrew's whole point is the reason the anti-tax will drop taxes is because of competition. That is the only reason that they would drop taxes with the anti-tax except obviously having people there forcing them to do it. But if he, if he made this legal, so if every city in Florida could invest all their money in stocks, all the cities could do it and do none of the rest of the anti-tax. They could just do that, but put all their money into better schools. It doesn't actually have to be the anti-tax framework. Um, I think other parts of it don't work either. For example, let's say that your anti-tax is really big. And it's paying for like half your local taxes now, right? Well, the reason it would pay for half your local... The reason you decrease taxes is to convince people to move there, right? But if more people move there, that's actually bad for you now. If If the anti-tax is paying half of your local taxes, but the number of people living there doubles, well, the amount of money that like things cost doubles because like you
0: have more schools, you have more roads, whatever. And so more trash sudden, pickup, more trash pickup, more moat, more, more yeah. brush debris pickup, and all that, whatever. So now the anti-tax only covers a quarter of your local taxes. Would in it? Fact, what, what, okay, so a question: would, would that force the the efficiency of government in there to be even more efficient? Well, but Andrew, when Andrew's idea, is just asking you know, you know
1: what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. No, if, and Andrew's idea, if the anti-tax doesn't work. Um, you just go back to regular taxing. So he would say, oh, well, those new people give you more tax money. What I would say is if the anti-tax pays for half my local taxes, what I want to do is I want to get as many other people to leave this city as possible so the anti-tax pays all my taxes.
0: Okay, yeah. So if I get you- half
1: the people to leave. Like we're, it, it's, a, it's literally a fixed pie of money. That's what the anti-tax is. It's a slowly growing fixed pie of money, but it's a fixed pile of money for the city. The more people in the city... The less money for me. I think the incentives are literally backwards. If your anti-tax grew big enough, your incentives would be um make it so no one who doesn't already live here wants to move to the city.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. Uh that I understand. Yeah, you're saying like, mm-hmm. you know, almost uh if you have enough money in the in your budget or like in your anti-tax budget or whatever, you might even wanna buy people out to move out of your city if it if it like. You know, and and then that way next year's budget, you're, you you don't have that many people, yeah. like or or you incentivize them to leave. Yeah, I mean, it- oh, just pa- just pass laws that say, hey, if you move to our city,
1: you're gonna pay five times regular taxes for your first five years, or maybe just like say, hmm, you're just not allowed to build any new houses here. Like you can just do stuff. You're the city government. You can do whatever you want with those incentives.
0: What, what about uh, the, when you had brought up earlier about uh, the paying the taxes uh, for ten years? I mean, I guess an anti-like what, what I well, I like where I live. So I mean, I I have my family. But if somebody knew a kid or something, or a new family that doesn't have any like strong ties, Mm -hmm. I I could see them if there was an anti-tax municipality say, hey, for you to once there's a fee to move into this into our municipality, but you got to pay it up front, uh, and then you get to stay. uh, Would that be a way of trying to, uh, I, I, I guess, at least get them to pay their part in the beginning or i i think that that's not getting more complicated and now we're now we're going into like yeah so that's one of my hypothetical other shit that wouldn't even never even happen
1: yeah that's one of my other critiques is that gets very complicated but one of the but he did talk about hey maybe you pay a big lump sum up front okay don't pay property taxes but the issue is your city government doesn't actually determine your property taxes your property taxes are determined by the voters voting on school levies. That's an entirely separate
0: budget. Most of the time. Not always, but yeah, it's county. It's like county. Like I pay property taxes yeah. and it's it's broken down. There's city stuff that's in there, but you know, the uh the county is what is mm-hmm. subject is what is subject to like the state. And then yeah. the county, the county basically, but anyway, I pay my property taxes, which is the biggest part of my local taxes, at least that I see up front, I'm sure I pay a lot of. Do sales stuff here locally, but yeah, you know the property tax is the is uh, is the main one.
1: Yeah, know, but that's but there's a bunch of that stuff where it's just like, oh, that doesn't actually work because they're separate. Um, or even like, would people want to do it? Or even if we, you paid your big lump sum up front, you paid like twenty times the average amount. Well, in five years, they could just decide to change the law and start taxing you again. You don't actually like you're not actually out of the system. They just have decided that the law currently says. You don't get taxed if you did this, um, but there's no reason that they can't change that. And then Carlos is like, all right, sorry, uh, Andrew says, well, liberty has to be managed. You have to like always be fighting for it. Otherwise it goes away. And it's like, okay, well, look at the US system. Lots of people are fighting for liberty this whole time and it didn't work. So you need to actually change incentives to make liberty more like easier to obtain and like to increase the benefit, like the ease of getting liberty. And increase so make it easier to do this. And I think the anti-tax doesn't do that. Um, I think there are other systems that do, but like more decentralization generally. Um, but he talks about like, oh, well, what you have to do is just have libertarians on literally every single uh school, like city council. And it's I don't think he understands at all how much work it is to be on or to even run for like city councils or city mayors or things. He has kept claiming a few times that a city, that a town mayor puts in like five hours a month because I was on a, he was on a stream and I was in the chat asking questions one time. That's our main interactions that I don't actually have a Twitter. Um, and yeah, he said, oh, a mayor puts in five hours a month. And the thing is, that's true of like an Andrew Cuomo. He put in like seven hours a month and everyone was complaining about that also. But if you're a smaller city, which are the ones he wants to take over, the mayor does a lot of work. They negotiate for all the water treatment stuff. They negotiate the trash, trash contracts, all this. I actually asked the mayor, and the mayor told me she puts in five to 40 hours a week and 60 hours a week on like holiday weeks for like the Christmas parades and things. That is another full time job. And he's saying, oh, like the 2% of the US that's already Libertarian Party members, you just all need to run for office all the time and like keep running stuff. And I'm like, no. I'd rather do a real systematic change, create some real decentralization and competition and work on it that way. I just how does this and and also circling around all the way back to the beginning? I don't think the anti-tax is entirely bad. Like if it was legal um, and a city wasn't investing their money, I would say the city should invest their money. I just don't think it does much. I think it'll get you a 0.4% decrease in your tax. And maybe eventually with compounding interest, it will like be a bit bigger. Um, but it's not worth the cost. The thing that he's talking about is a massive, expensive, complicated project for what is, as far as I can tell, a tiny return. This is all about the opportunity cost versus the rewards, and if we took the resources that he's saying he would use and put them towards the defend the Guard Act, even like lobbied by Republicans, we could actually end the wars instead of maybe decreasing your taxes by like four percent in twenty years. Actually I think no, I checked when I, I did check math yesterday, and it was your taxes would have decreased. By five percent in a hundred
0: years, yeah. No, man, I need more than that. Yeah, that's
1: that's <laughs> not good.
0: That's that's If, not, if that's the case, if that's the case, then uh, you know, I mean, yeah. Because if I'm the mayor, I can like
1: just do a tax cut now. Why would I wait a hundred years? I'll just cut a program and give you like I can give you a five percent tax cut. We just cut things. And then there's other issues as well of like how do you actually manage it and stuff. But yeah, no, that's that's my big thing. I don't think the incentives work. It's I don't think the math works, and it is currently illegal. And the amount of effort that it would take to make it legal um, would be way better used on a different policy.
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, What does uh, what is the plan that? like the Mises Caucus uh, uh, wants to implement, uh, I, don't, I don't know if they have a, a, a like yeah. a strategic way of, I think they're more, well, can you mm-hmm. kind of give a rundown of what you do sure. for like the Mises part of it and what their plan is? Because yep. you, you would counter uh, Andrew by saying, you know what, we should do more of the Mises Caucus. Uh, so well, yep. what, what do they do? Or what, what do you got going on with them? So the Mises Caucus has three planks. Sorry,
1: sun's starting to shine in a little bit. just the blinds. Um, plank one is uh, growing the party, growing the movement, support, like building that army of liberty for when we're do- like because you need people to do things. Um, you need money and people, all that. Um, plank two is winning local elections. So the Mises Caucus nationally will only in- endorse and fund a candidate um, who is county level or lower. We don't do – if you're running for, like, a state Congress seat, no one knows about the position, so no one cares. You're not even bringing publicity, and you're also not going to win it. Um, But for county and, like, mayor and the like, you can win it. Ohio has, I think, eight elected libertarians, two mayors, a couple city council, a judge – those are very winnable races that you can make changes in. And then once you're elected, like Cassandra Feynman, one of our mayors, she uh, she set the penalty for possessing marijuana to be uh, a misdemeanor and a fine of $0. So the, if you have marijuana, your fine is $0. But she essentially legalized it. Um, and or she went through and like removed all the cities like traffic violations that are literally just for fundraising that like, you know, the stupid ones that they get people driving through and stuff like that. So that's kind of stuff that you can do locally. You actually have a lot of say over zoning laws and the like, and more, and or even doing like second amendment sanctuary cities, um, stopping no knock raids and so on. The third thing that we do is lobbying. One of the things planned by Andrew and the other post libertarians is that libertarians can't lobby um, Republicans and Democrats. That's not true. Like There's a lot of claims that they make that I, they're just not correct. Um, we lobby Republicans and Democrats all the time. We lobby them at the state level. We lobby them at the local level. And what we do with the Mises Caucus is, is your town red or blue? Uh, blue. Okay. Um, so they're probably in support of BLM and want the cops to have less interactions with like minorities. So what if we walked in and said, hey, here's how you decrim weed in your city so that cops will stop arresting black people? They're all on board. They're, why are they not doing that? Because they're not political. Local city um, politicians are actually not that political. They're not that tribal. They, they, they're the most popular mom in the parent teacher association. They're the gym. They're the football coach that won a couple games. They're the bookworm that really likes the parks, like there's random people. And they just do things that are common sense. If you go in, you listen to them, you find what they already believe, and then you just give them the piece of legislation that they already want, but don't know they want, it's super easy. You can get laws changed in a week or two. Not a ton, but in your city, you could probably, I don't know, decrim weed, stop no-knock raids, stop police stingray stuff. If it was a red city, we have some stuff for Second Amendment sanctuary, so essentially constitutional carry kind of thing, stop all gun laws, that city. Um, We have some stuff against the vaccine mandate, um, that kind of really local nullification that's very easy if you – because pretty much every city council has some issue we agree with them. And we'll only focus on the stuff we agree with because that's easy. So that's kind of like the three planks of what we're doing in the next few years, longer term down the road, that it's gonna, there's gonna be more stuff happening once we have that big army built and Dave Smith runs for president on libertarian ticket. Hopefully,
0: fair enough, man. So yeah, thank you for uh, coming on, Drake. Uh, I hope uh, you feel I respected your time, and uh, I hope you had a good time hanging out with me and my sure. audience. Hopefully, um, uh, got some good information from you and. Yeah. I hope we can have a conversation, uh, more about the anti-tax. Uh, I still think there's a lot of, uh, good intentions, uh, yeah. uh, mixed in there and, um, uh, we'll see what's up with, uh, Andrew, if he wants to come on and, um, yeah, man, can you please, uh, plug in where people can, uh, find, find some of, uh, your stuff. I know you had mentioned you had you're working on some new stuff you got going on. Yep. So
1: and I do definitely agree. I think Andrew has the best of intentions and this is not, uh, critique of him as a person. It's just, I think that we should try to do things that work well. And yeah. So I I think he's in the right, like has the right intentions and we just disagree on strategy. Um, So, Sign up for the Mises Caucus nationally to donate money to them. So that is Um, The Ohio Mises Caucus, we do actually have a Twitter. I don't run it. Someone else does. If you want to get in contact with me, that might be the best place. Um, either that or uh, through the Substack, which is misoscaucusohio.substack.com. We started to put up some writings there because I like writing. And I was like, you know what? I'll just post this up for Ohio and make it easy. Otherwise, uh listen to Los
0: Libertinos and get some Pluma Verde CBD. B D. All right, fair enough, man. Yeah, I'll catch you tomorrow uh on the men's group too and open I hope people out there if they like what we were talking about. The you know maybe we get some new people to come on there. So join a renegade university and come hang yeah. out with us um there on Mondays. <laughs> Is Jed still the?
1: I don't know how someone actually joins the men's group now because we have the Discord is where we're sending out most stuff. Do you just email that um, you want to join? I think.
0: Good question. I think you have to become a member of the underground, probably, or something like that. I don't know. I guess I'll put information on how to do it. But it'd be yeah. cool to have some more uh, new people in there for sure. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, uh, we we, uh, we have our problems, but we need we need new people with new problems to to. to To make it more interesting.
1: (laughs) That'd be my other other, uh, plug. Talk about your feelings and erase Twitter from your phone.
0: There you go, man. All right, man. Peace, man. Thank you.